What is up, guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am the one, the only Shane Squatch. And I'm just going to be regular Orin today. All right, and I'm Jenny. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Jenny. regular old Jenny. I was going to say, you can't each stole your name today. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not just Jenny, I'm Jenny. Jenny. <laughs> Jenna. I'm just I'm always just gonna go with that. Whenever you may keep it plain. I, I'm good with that. You're I'm just gonna be Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> so uh before we get into everything today, um of course we gotta start with a witty beginning banter. So is there anything new and exciting going on in your guys' neck of the woods this week? No, not much witty banter over here on our end, but uh I hear you have a couple announcements for the listeners. Uh so I will, of course, be vending at Squonkapalooza, as I've been saying for the past couple weeks. But just a couple added things into that. Um, I found somebody who does 3D printing. Uh, he's a friend of a friend kind of a thing. He's a friend. I used to work with him a while ago. But he's been uh, producing some really, really cool uh, little cryptid figures for me. And, of course, for Squonkapalooza, we're going to be doing some squonks. So we've been working on these uh, little pink squonks. Uh, there's going to be little Bigfoot ones he was working on, uh, Hopskinville Goblins. Um, so on top of just having the t-shirts that I was planning on having for vending, we're also going to start carrying these really, really cool 3d printed models of different cryptids. Um, probably even expand into like aliens, ghosts, because you know, we do cover all that stuff on the show, weird little native American folklore creatures, but I'm going to try to work on it where maybe we can do some more like uh, specialty off the wall, kind of weird cryptids that not everybody kind of does. And you know, it'll just be something we have on the table from now on uh, as far as conventions go. So just another cool thing to look forward to and expanding our table and the cool things that we're going to have there. And on top of that, um, got to figure out exactly how I'm going to coordinate it, but we're going to be doing uh, giveaways at our table. Um, so the whole idea is uh, people come and follow the Instagram and that'll get them an entry. They follow all three of the Instagrams and get some three entries. We'll do a random giveaway or a drawing at the end. And uh, whoever it is gets to win whatever special item we choose at the time. Um, where I'm kind of leaning towards right now is that it's probably going to be some form of a squonk, of course, for uh, Squonkapalooza. Um, and I might add something cool in where maybe it's holding like an OMM flag or a Bizarre Encounters flag or something like that. But there's a lot of cool stuff as far as Squonkapalooza goes. And if you guys aren't already aware from me saying it a million times, it's going to be August 26th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., rain or shine. And it is a cryptid carnival for all ages. So, of course, you guys can bring the whole family. It's not going to be the typical uh, 
cryptid convention where it's very like adult oriented. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff going on for kids. There's going to be vendors, artists, crafts, games, speakers, movies, activities, live music, food truck, cosplay, and of course, admission is free. So always a plus. You just got to coordinate coming out there. Um, but other than that, once you get there, just have fun, do your thing. It's going to be in Central Park, downtown Johnstown, Pennsylvania. So hopefully I'll see you guys there. And on that note, you guys know the drill. Do all the internet things. Follow us on Instagram, all of our social medias. Uh, reach out to us on the uh, email address, which is bizarreencounters at outlook.com. Uh, share any of your bizarre encounters so Shane can add them to his book that he's working on or uh, share any suggestions for guests, topics, anything that you want to contribute to the show. We are here to listen. So like I said, do all the internet things. Don't hesitate because we definitely want to talk to you guys. And uh, if you guys aren't already following the show on social media, which is a great way to contact us, of course, highly recommend going and following the show on social media if you want to get updates on new episodes or anything cool going on with the show or any weird adventures that we may be on at the time, of course. <laughs> and uh, if you guys aren't already checking out the Telegram or the Discord, highly recommend that you do for that too. Uh, we're still trying to build that one up. We got some new people have been popping in lately. So, you know, join the fun. Hop in. Let's have some conversations. Let's start a community with everybody and have some open-minded, weird type of conversations. And uh, if you want to get people into the show, we do have a YouTube and a Discord now. Not in Discord. We do have a YouTube and a TikTok now. Uh, both of those, I I post little uh, topics, little parts of interest from the shows, uh, usually roughly between like a minute to like three minutes long. And I put a question that's kind of posed with whatever the topic is that we're talking about. Same thing gets posted on YouTube and TikTok. It's kind of like a universal thing. So, you know, follow at least one of the pages and then you can send these little clips to friends that you think might be interested in it. Uh, there's a thought provoking question involved with it. Maybe it can spark up, spark up an awesome conversation between you and a friend that you think might enjoy it, or just in general, it's an awesome way to share the episode. If you don't think somebody's going to listen to the full hour and a half or just give it a chance like that, at least send them the clips, the point of interest, get them into it. And then, you know, maybe they'll actually sit down and listen to the full episode and anything that you guys do as far as that goes, we always appreciate. And speaking of things that we appreciate that you guys do. Don't forget to go and support the show. There's multiple ways to do so, of course. Uh, number one is through Patreon, where you'll get early access to the show, uh, live feeds of the show, live replays of the show, uh, exclusive merch store discounts, which is always a plus because we've been dropping some awesome new designs over there. Um, and speaking of the merch store, of course, uh, if you guys want to go and pick up some stuff from the merch store, I recently dropped some new designs on there. There's the new Stay Bizarre 90 style design that I did for Bizarre Encounters. Uh, there's also a new one for Inquiries of Our Reality. And they recently added Windbreakers. And I'm a big fan of Windbreakers, so I ended up making a really cool uh, Bizarre Encounters Windbreaker. So if you guys are into that kind of stuff, highly recommend going and checking it out because I think it's uh, pretty damn sharp, of course. And then the third way that you guys can support the show is through donating directly through Red Circle, which is our RSS host. Uh, if you guys are interested in doing that, go all the way down to the bottom of the show description. You'll see something along the lines of donate on Red Circle. And uh, anything that you guys donate, uh, let us know if it doesn't give you an option for some type of personalized message, because of course we want to give you guys a shout out for supporting the show. And uh, just to throw it in there, of course, if uh, you guys want to support the show, uh, you don't always have to do it with money, even though it's always appreciated to help it so that we can go and vend more events, uh, pay for all the programs we need, uh, upgrade some more equipment on Jenny and Oren's end, and just do anything that we're trying to do to continuously expand the show. Um, but again, if you guys want to just help in general, you ain't got to support the show that way. Um, just interacting with us is a great way to do it. Uh, you guys can leave ratings, reviews. As I said before, you guys can share the show, uh, interact in the community, 
Just tell us that you love the show. There's hundreds and hundreds of ways to support the show. So in some way, shape, or form, and not just this show, any podcast you guys enjoy, don't forget to always support your local podcasters. Okay, and if you are into cryptid merch, just go check out Joe at Crypto Theology. He's got a lot of very cool shirts. And as always, all this motherfucking shit is in the link tree in the show notes. Man, you guys, your guys' parts are so like punchy and to the point. I feel like I just rant on forever. So sorry, all the listeners that you feel like you're listening to a radio ad as I'm doing my intro. It's just that I've gotten into such a routine with it. I just fly through it. And then I'm like, damn, I'm talking a lot. And then I start talking faster. So if anybody wonders why that happens, it's because I realize that I'm talking a lot and I try to speed it up. But <laughs> I just want to throw that in there because I was kind of giggling about it. Well, that's us. Punchy and to the point. Yeah, always. <laughs> in every Aspect. Every, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of punching into the point, so today is another show that Oren fortunately did this awesome deep dive on. Uh, he was very excited to get this one out. Uh, he knows that there's been a few other people who have been kind of dancing around talking about the topic, so he wanted to make sure he got to it first before uh, anybody else did. And, uh, you know, we'll be diving soon into some of the research that I've been doing. We've been pretty heavy as far as Oren goes, but he's been doing a lot of, a lot of hard work, really great work lately. So without further ado, man, let's uh, take it away before somebody else does this topic before we do or in the same week, of course. <laughs> All right, y'all. So this is it. This is the one that I've been teasing for weeks. This is the one I've been working on for months. This is it. It's finally here. We are going to talk about famous rocket scientist and occultist Jack Parsons. Boom. And be <laughs> Boom. <laughs> So before we dive in, there's uh, just a couple little things I want to uh, address real quick. Uh, the first is a bit of a disclaimer. So in this series, we are going to kind of just dip our toes into subjects that are a little darker than what we normally talk about on the show. Uh, so just want to throw it out there. Uh, I am in no way saying that I personally or any of us here at Bizarre Encounters, you know, adhere to these uh, schools of thought or anything like that. But uh, like I said, the reason I wanted to do this one is uh, I just think Jack Parsons is so damn interesting and it blows my mind that he's not talked about more. I mean, I'd never even heard of him till last year. So, I mean, I think it's just a, a topic that needs to be talked about more in the paranormal community. So, that's the first thing. The second one is a couple of shout outs. Uh, so there is this couple, um, I believe they're out of Western South Carolina and they go by Hellbent Holler and they've got a great YouTube channel, a really good podcast. Um, they do a lot of like boots on the ground, uh, Bigfoot and Dogman research. Uh, they do a lot of stuff at Land Between the Lakes, which we talked about a little bit on our uh, Dogman episode. So y'all go check that out if you have not. But on episode seven of their Hellbent Holler Dark Dive podcast, they talked about Jack Parsons a little bit. And that's the first I had ever heard about him. And like while I was listening to the episode, I texted Jenny. I was like, you have got to go listen to this. This is the craziest shit I've ever heard. So ever since then, it's kind of been kicking around in the back of my mind. And then a few months ago, I stumbled on a series that the Hollow Sky podcast did. And you know, they do some really cool stuff as well. Y'all should definitely check them out. Uh, but they did a series on the Collins elite. And, you know, that's a topic I've mentioned a couple times on the show at this point. And it intertwines a lot with the whole Jack Parsons story. So we'll touch a little bit on the Collins elite in this, but um, didn't want to step on anybody's toes. So we're just going to kind of focus more on Jack Parsons himself. 
So with all that said, uh, you know, definitely check out Hellbent Holler and Hollow Sky. They're both doing some cool stuff. So with all that out of the way, screw the Dos Equis guy. Jack Parsons was the real most interesting man in the world. He was a rocket scientist devil wizard who left his wife for his sister-in-law, had all his money stolen from him by the guy who invented Scientology, and he died by blowing himself up. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> so, I love how crude you put that, by the way. <laughs> this this whole true. intro of his life is just so crude, all but I love it. <laughs> true. But like I said, like even if uh, you guys don't put a whole lot of stock into the paranormal or more occult aspects of the story... It's still fucking crazy as far as I'm concerned, and this is one I've been real excited to do for a long time. So, All right, so Jack Parsons was born on October 2nd, 1914 in Los Angeles, California. His birth name was Marvel Whiteside Parsons. He was named after his father, but his parents divorced uh, soon after he was born because his mother, Ruth, found out that uh, Jack Parsons Sr., Marvel Parsons Sr., rather, frequently visited prostitutes. And she didn't take too kindly to that, so they got divorced. And since Ruth had all this animosity toward Jack Parsons' father, she began referring to him as John. And then later in life, uh, his friends and associates started calling him Jack. So I'm going to call him Jack in this episode, in the series, but he goes by many names. A man of many titles and many names. And many hats, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, after the divorce, uh, Ruth's wealthy parents moved to California to help take care of Jack. They purchased a large home on Orange Grove Boulevard in Pasadena. And at that time, that was known as Millionaire's Mile. So as a child, uh, Parsons was interested in science fiction and the occult. And when he was 13, he attempted to do a ritual to invoke the devil. And he feared that the ritual was successful. So he ceased doing occult activities for many years at that point. But when he was talking about the event later... He referred to it as a magical fiasco, which is my new favorite way to describe anything. I love it. (laughs) Everything in this damn house is a magical fiasco. It sounds so enchanted. (laughs) She's so sick of hearing Jack Parsons shit. I'm really not. not. Every night when you come home from work, I'm like, oh, you got to listen to this new Jack Parsons (laughs) thing I found out. Parsons Palooza. All right. Just a magical fiasco. Magical fiasco. But. Anyway, so moving on from magical fiascos. <laughs> Gotta drop it one more time. <laughs> magical fiascos. Two more times. That's my Jack Parsons voice. I'm going to uh, just break into voices at different parts in this. But uh, Wonderful. I love it. <laughs> anyway, so when Jackie Boy was a kid, uh, he was picked on because he was, quote, rich and effeminate. But in the eighth grade, uh, he became close friends with a boy named Edward S. Foreman. And the two bonded over their interest in science fiction and rocketry. And in 1928, they began conducting homemade experiments with gunpowder-based rockets. So what could possibly go wrong? Two little kids just blowing shit up with gunpowder. <laughs> that sounds pretty uh, pretty average for, you know, back in the day at least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was the 20s. What else was there to do? Yeah, pretty much fuck or blow shit up. That's, that's about it, right? <laughs> and Jack Parsons did both. Yes. <laughs> or work, but, which he also did. Extensively. Yeah. 
so uh, Parsons and Foreman, uh, when they were kids doing their gunpowder rocket experiments, they adopted the Latin motto, per aspera ad astra, which roughly translates to through hardship to the stars. And I think this is super interesting because, Shane, do you know what uh, Tom DeLonge's company is called? Angels and oh wait no not angels and no, airwaves that's, his that's band. A, yeah no, no throw it's, it at me <laughs> it's to the stars ooh so, yeah so there, there's a, a, a nice little tie into some current events Tom was right Tom was right but anyway <laughs> didn't he yell that at a concert he was like fuck you I was right about the aliens or some <laughs> yeah, shit yeah they've made shirts now like Jenny ordered <laughs> yeah one I've got a there. shirt coming already I thought they're gonna sell this one out fast. <laughs> That should sketch me out to begin with, because if they're going to pick anybody, talk about some like weird controlled narrative. Why would they pick a rock star to do it? Maybe because they didn't think people were going to take him seriously, or I don't know, man. The, all the current stuff going on, everybody's like, oh, aliens are real, and then everybody else is actually sitting here like, yeah, but you know, Congress is way too old, so we, we're just trying to yeah. live over here. Like, Aliens are cool. We all know that they've already existed. Like, You ain't got to tell us, but... Now make it so that we can all live comfortably. <laughs> but hasn't Tom been at this for years, like years and years before he was chosen? He has, but, you know, at the same time, is this going to be the time when we choose to trust the government? <laughs> you know? yeah, so exactly. I, I think there's a whole lot going exactly. on. I think that's but, also uh, the bad placement of it, too, is that after uh, the whole thing that happened the last couple of years, try not to say it on the show so nothing gets pulled, but um, after that, everybody started questioning everything, and then they're going to drop aliens after, and everybody's just like, government i don't trust you we already yeah. know but like fuck off <laughs> yeah not so sure about that one but anyway so jack parsons when he was also a child his grades in school began to decline and his mother sent him away to military school but this was short-lived because he was soon expelled for blowing up a toilet oh shocker yeah which is making pipe hilarious. bombs with that uh gunpowder <laughs> yeah it was a magical fiasco magical fiasco we need like a magical fiasco counter yeah. <laughs> on this episode. But no, I, I, I wish I had one. If I, if I would have pre-prepared here, I would have made like a sound effect that was like ding, 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 part, ding, ding, count part up. Two. Yep. You can have it. <laughs> so. Part two, there will be a counter. <laughs> so during the Great Depression, uh, Parson's grandfather died and the family lost a lot of their wealth at that point. So when he graduated from high school, he began working at an explosive manufacturer called Hercules Powder Company. <laughs> that doesn't sound like it would make gunpowder. Hercules Powder Company sounds like a underground like company powder or something. No, no, I was thinking like cocaine or some shit. <laughs> they might have been <laughs> Hercules Powder. It sounds like a street drug. Another name for cocaine. <laughs> there you go. Actually, no, uh, so, that would probably be like snorted meth it would be Hercules powder because motherfuckers think they're strong after doing some meth. <laughs> well, Jack might have done that, too. I cannot confirm nor deny. <laughs> what he does in his personal life, we only know part of. <laughs> yes. So uh, at various points, he enrolled at Pasadena Junior College and also Stanford University. But he was forced to drop out of both of them because of the family's financial issues. But through this whole time, Parsons and Foreman continued experimenting with rockets. And they also began corresponding with several like, notable early rocket researchers and rocket scientists. Uh, one of them was an American rocket scientist called uh, Robert Goddard. And he had a facility somewhere very interesting that we're going to talk about later. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me just take a guess out of here. Kentucky. Take a guess. 
Kentucky. No. no. Damn, I was close. Close, close though. Close <laughs> though. And uh, one of the other people they allegedly had correspondence with was Werner von Braun, which we all know was the head of the Nazi rocket program before he came to America. Project Paperclip much? Yeah. And allegedly Parsons and Von Braun had like hours of phone conversations, which is pretty wild, I think. I just imagine them laying on the bed, kicking their feet like, so what do you think about rockets? (laughs) They're explosive. Ooh, just like this connection. (laughs) That's what she said. I just had to throw that in there for fun. (laughs) Oh, there's going to be a whole lot of opportunity for that's what she says later. Oh, I got some other good ones that I got hiding on deck right now. I'm waiting for the right opportunity. So Parsons left the Hercules Powder Company, and then he began working at Halifax Explosives, which, again, blows my mind that there's so many rocket explosive plants (laughs) in California at this time. They must have just been blowing everything up. (laughs) And he also, around this time, met a young woman named Helen Northrup, But he met her at a local church dance, which to me is also hilarious, given some of the things he was into later in his life. And then they got married in April of 1935. So Jack spent most of their money on rocket equipment, and at one point he even had to pawn Helen's engagement ring so he could buy more rocket supplies. (laughs) What a great husband. Yeah, yeah, he's just an all-around stand-up dude. Babe, give me your ring. I gotta buy something that blows up. It's going to be a magical fiasco. (laughs) It'll be explosive. (laughs) So we're going to take a bit of a side tangent here. So what would eventually become NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, or JPL, began at the California Institute of Technology, or Caltech, in the 1920s. And it was called the Guggenheim Aeronautical Laboratory, California Institute of Technology, which really just rolls off the tongue. Let's say that's a mouthful. Yeah, so they called it Galset for short. And the director of Galset was a man named Theodore von Karman. And remember that name. He's going to come up again probably in the third episode of this series. So uh, Parsons and Foreman attended a lecture about rocketry at Caltech. And uh, afterwards, they inquired about working at the lab um, and researching rockets. So Von Karman allowed them to have access to the Gausset lab, even though they weren't students. And through that, they met a graduate student named Frank J. Molina. And so Parsons and Foreman assisted Molina with his dissertation. And through that, they were able to be approved for funding to pursue more rocket research. And so Molina began referring to Parsons, Foreman, and himself as the group. So that's the term I'm going to use here on out for them. Uh, when I say the group, we're talking about you know Parsons and his buddies at Caltech that were blowing shit up. <laughs> so the group decided that their first goal would be to develop a working liquid-fueled rocket. And so Von Karman convinced the Gausset board to lease land in the Arroyo Seco slash Devil's Gate Dam area of California for them to do their experiments because it was out in the middle of nowhere, just in the desert. Or and was actually, it uh, with a name it, like that? Oh. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, JPL's headquarters is actually still located in that spot today, which I think is kind of interesting. That's because they're blown holes through the Devil's Gate. So... Here's the part 
that I teased earlier. So in 1936, uh, Frank Molina was invited by the rocket scientist Robert Goddard to visit his rocket facility in Roswell, New Mexico. Hmm. <laughs> Keep in mind, this is in 1936, so we're you know more than a decade before the Roswell crash. Bruh. <laughs> Bruh. Bruh. <laughs> so, uh, Molina ultimately came away disappointed with the visit, though, because he thought that Goddard was like only trying to extract information from him and wasn't really willing to share anything himself. So, a little bit later on, on Halloween night in 1936, uh, the event that is considered the birth of JPL took place when the group tested their first liquid-fueled rocket. On Halloween uh, night in Devil's on Gate. On Halloween night, yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> hmm. Yep. Seems a little hmm. weird, right? <laughs> yeah. So, the first three attempts to launch the rocket failed, and on the fourth attempt, the rocket caught on fire. But they still viewed this as a monumental success, and so they continued to make progress with their experiments, and in January of 1937, they were granted permission to move their rocket testing back onto Caltech's campus, which the campus residents quickly grew to hate. So they were just blowing shit up <laughs> on campus, blowing up buildings, <laughs> blowing holes in the grass, and so the students began referring to them as the Suicide Squad. Not the <laughs> shitty DC movie. This is a different Suicide Squad. <laughs> so, I guess they eventually got enough complaints that they were forced to move back out to Arroyo Seco in the desert to do their testing there again. You thought it was bad enough hearing your neighbors bang next door. Imagine hearing an actual bang next door. <laughs> yeah. It was a magical fiasco for all those young co-eds. Hey -o. <laughs> I need a button for that. I'm just going to go with this one. Fuck your life! Bing bong! <laughs> <laughs> There's a bing bong at the end. It works. <laughs> so, in 1938, uh, Jack Parsons was called upon to be an expert witness in a murder trial. So, kind of what happened was um, there was a case involving three Los Angeles City police officers and they were accused of planting a pipe bomb in the car of another officer, and he blew up and died and whatever. And so the police department contacted Gausset and asked for who their best rocket person was to you know, view the evidence and give a testimony, and they picked Jack Parsons. So uh, the three officers ended up getting convicted. But a bomb threat was called into the courthouse on the day that Jack Parsons was scheduled to give his testimony. And some people have theorized that this might have something to do with his death later on. So that's another one to kind of keep in the chamber for when we come back around to it. So, around this time, uh, Frank Molina also began requesting outside funding to research what they now refer to as jet propulsion instead of rockets. And they chose that term because at this time there was a really big stigma around rockets. Like people viewed it as just like science fiction buffoonery. Like there was no way this could happen. It was just a waste of time and made up fantasy shit. So to get around that, they started calling it jet propulsion instead of rocketry. And uh, the military was interested in developing what they called Jet Assisted Takeoff Technology, or JADO. 
And what that meant was they wanted to mount rockets to the wings of airplanes to assist in short runway takeoffs and also to evade enemies while they were in the air. Well, that doesn't sound dangerous at all. Yeah, yeah. So let's <laughs> drop rockets to a 1920s airplane. Yeah, who wants to be the guinea pig for that? Me, me, me. So that sounds like a magical fiasco. It, it probably was. <laughs> so the group was given a $1,000 grant to research the feasibility of these JADOs. And so that officially made them the first government sanctioned rocket research group. Which is pretty crazy, I think, too. Mm -hmm. And so through their research, they found out that uh, solid fuels would be more effective than the traditional liquid fuel rockets. And because of this finding, they were given an additional $10,000 grant. But much of this grant had to go toward repairing buildings at Caltech that they had blown up in their previous <laughs> experiments. So, in June of 1940, the group submitted a feasibility report on this JADO technology, and at that point, their budget was increased to $22,000. So, basically, this was just a whole series of them, you know, doing experiments, coming back to the government with their findings, and each time their funding got upped a little bit more. So, also around this time, our boy Jack started to become interested in the work of Alistair Crowley. <laughs> I'm and surprised it wasn't way sooner, honestly. I, I'm, well, I'm shocked he didn't start with that. <laughs> I think the magical fiasco kind of uh, uh, scared him off for a little bit, but he circled back around. So as most of our listeners probably know, uh, Crowley is probably the most famous occultist to ever live. He was born in 1875 in Lemington, England, and he was the son of a wealthy preacher slash brewer, which I think is an interesting combination. So he was raised in a devoutly Christian home, but he developed an interest in alchemy and also began practicing ritual magic. And fun fact, he was also a 33rd degree Freemason. No oh, shit. shocker. Yeah. Who would have fucking known? Mm. Bruh. <laughs> Bruh. So later... Crowley moved to Scotland, and he purchased a mansion on the shores of Loch Ness. So, in this mansion, he, you know, did all his magic workings, and he performed, you know, everything from black masses to orgies, you name it, he did it in this mansion. Which supposedly led to a whole host of paranormal activity. And some have even theorized that Crowley was able to open up some sort of portal that allowed the Loch Ness monster to enter our dimension or reality. So it's like fucking Cthulhu. It's like a Cthulhu plesiosaur type giant salamander. I'm trying to just make this as crude as possible and throw in as many theories as possible. Under no, the same you're, name. <laughs> you're more, you're more spot on than you think. Just we're going to get into some weird shit in this one. Oh, you know, I love the weird shit, but just my fun favorite fact that doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but uh, Jimmy Page, the guitarist of Led Zeppelin, later purchased this mansion that uh, Aleister Crowley once lived in. So I think that's pretty cool as well. So throughout Crowley's life, he repeatedly tried to contact otherworldly entities. And he claimed that once while in an altered state of consciousness, 
he successfully contacted an entity he called Lamb. Lamb. The first gray. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have also seen like his depiction of this entity, Lamb, which, like you said, a lot of people say looks like a gray alien. And I've even heard people say it looks a lot like whatever the thing on the cover of uh, Whitley Stryber's Communion mm-hmm. is. If you guys aren't familiar with what that looks like, take a second, pause the podcast, look it up, because if you haven't seen it, you need to see it, especially if you're into these weird topics. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. So in addition to all that, Crowley was also the founder of a spiritual movement known as the Church of either Thelema or Thelema. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I'm going to pronounce it Thelema. So uh, Thelema is the Greek word for will. And the two main tenets of the movement were do what thou will shall be the whole of the law and love is the law, love under will. And in this fantastic book I have, it's called Sex and Rockets, which is a great name for Jack Parsons book uh, <laughs> written by a gentleman named John Carter. Uh, he has a quote uh, kind of about these tenets of Thelema. And he says, These phrases carry with them a great duty to live deliberately, to find one's true will, and then do that and nothing else. Which, that doesn't sound very scary to me. That sounds like... I think that's some pretty good advice. Yeah, that sounds like great advice. Follow your passion. Yep. And do it. Yeah, and that's kind of what we've talked about. Like, I'm not saying that these dudes weren't into some weird, dark shit, but, like, the more you research a lot of this, the less scary it kind of Mm -hmm. becomes and, like, it sounds like they just got overly w- way too into like what what they were interested in and it got to like a dark place more so than anything but it doesn't seem like it originally started with like malicious intent it was more so just like a like a passion thing that they got way too enthralled in. Yeah, and like as we're going to see later like Jack Parsons was just kind of a goofy guy and so like it's kind of hard to be scared of this kid just like running around masturbating in the desert and blowing things up. (laughs) I love how crude you put this. (laughs) It's true. true. I I think it works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, anybody who wants to dip out now, uh, I mean, we're we're still easing into things. That's what she said. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) We needed. That's what she said. Counter too. So we haven't even gotten into that part yet. I almost hit it with the sex rocket part. I mean, sex and rockets. <laughs> I mean, sex rocket, that would probably work too. But I, I think they make some of those. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Crowley claimed that the central text of Thelema was the book of the law. And he said that this was dictated to him by an entity he called Iowas. And if y'all will remember, our good pal Alan H. Greenfield mentioned Iowas in the episode we just did with him. So that's kind of interesting as well. Mm -hmm. And Crowley said that uh, this book was dictated to him while he was on his honeymoon in Cairo, Egypt. Not Cairo. Not not Cairo. Cairo. (laughs) So Crowley, or Crowley, again, it's pronounced both ways. Um, He was also the head of a secret society slash magical organization called the Ordo Templi Orientis, which means Order of the Temple of the East and is also referred to as the OTO. So I'm just going to call it the OTO from here on out. (laughs) 
And so, as I mentioned before, uh, Crowley was a 33rd degree Freemason. And so this started out as like a very Masonic leaning organization. And as Crowley got more involved and started moving up the ranks, he kind of moved away from the Masonic roots of the organization and implemented more of his like thelemic and magical ideals and workings and doctrine into the organization. And so he eventually became the head of this entire organization. Just to throw something and, in here too, for something we could possibly do for a future interview. If anybody's interested, let us know. But um, I do have a friend who's another fellow podcaster, New York Patriot, if anybody's familiar, and he's a former OTO member. So maybe we could have him ooh. come on and talk a little bit more about the OTO if people are interested in hearing that kind of stuff, especially after this series. Yeah, I think that would be really, really cool, especially to, I mean, talk to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about and it's not just shit I've read in books and on the internet. Dude, he uh, showed me the letter when he got kicked out for talking too much information pretty much because <laughs> he started his show as the occult rejects, you know? So as soon as they figured out what he was doing with this podcast, they sent him a letter basically saying he's like formally not allowed at the OTO clubhouse and he's like, fuck you. <laughs> well, as we'll get into later, they'll kick somebody out in a heartbeat. I mean, they're like damn Axl Rose. They'll just kick somebody <laughs> out on the drop of a dime. I so. am the band. What do you mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, kind of what the OTO were really infamous for was practicing sex magic, which again gets a little bit back to our conversation with Greenfield. But they viewed sex magic rituals as kind of the key to unlock the mysteries of the universe, if you will. And the OTO Lodge in Los Angeles around that time was known as the Agape Lodge, and Agape is Greek for love. So, again, two main tenets of Thelema, love and will. Thelema means will. Agape means love. So the leader of the Agape Lodge was a man named Wilfred Talbot Smith, and we're going to talk about him a little bit more later. But in January of 1939, Jack and Helen Parsons became involved with the OTO because they were invited to a meeting at Smith's house. And at this meeting, they witnessed a performance of what's known as the Gnostic Mass, which is kind of the like central communal ritual that the OTO performs. And it's like this very dramatic kind of just ritual, and I don't think it involves like sacrifice or killing babies or anything like that. I, th I think it's just more naughty than anything else. But anyway, uh, Jack and Helen at that point were just hooked and they began regularly attending meetings. And before too long, they were initiated into the church of Thelema and the OTO. And through all of Jack's research and reading of Crowley and Thelemic principles and whatnot, he came to the conclusion that thelemic magic was a force that could be explained through quantum physics, which I think is really cool because it's basically kind of talking about stuff that we're talking about now on the podcast and whatnot, like this connection between science and kind of more esoteric ideas and there's some kind of connection there and it seemed like jack knew this in the 30s i mean yeah it's the whole concept of you know once something has an understanding it's not woo anymore and actually becomes a science and one example i always like to throw when people talk about this is alchemy into chemistry 
It's just a matter mm-hmm. of understanding, and then it doesn't become this occult woo-woo, look at the magic that's happening, because there's actually an understanding of how it's happening. <laughs> yeah, and like we mentioned earlier, uh, Crowley started out as an alchemist. So, so, so right in the same field. Perfect, perfect yeah. explanation. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so jumping back into the uh, Rockets side of Sex and Rockets. In 1941, the group had their first successful test of a Jado-equipped airplane. And again, this is, you know, the thing where they mounted the rockets to the wings of the airplane and they took off. But anyway, this successful test led to a further increase in their funding and they actually got a contract from the Navy. The group also experienced a breakthrough with uh, liquid-fueled Jados at this point. Uh, when Jack had the idea of using liquid asphalt as a binding agent. So this led to the Jados being able to be mass-produced and stored indefinitely. And Jack also invented a new process for pouring liquid propellant into rocket casings. And both of these technologies, um, like NASA is still using techniques based off of this today for the space shuttles. And this is shit he was doing in the forties. So it's pretty wild that, well, I guess there's two ways of looking at that, that this has lasted that long or how has quote unquote spaceship technology not gotten better since the forties. That was, that was the, the mind thought that I had, but I think it's one of those things that theoretically just, just to throw this one out there, I'm not saying it's fact, just, just saying what you show to the public that you used to get into space is different than what you actually have because you don't want other governments to know what type of technology you actually have. So if you have the capability to have these like zero gravity flying you government issued UFOs versus like, you know, like the extraterrestrial UFOs, like you'd want them to have no idea that you have technology like that. So of course, to the general public, getting everybody excited about the space race, you're going to use the old technology and just leave it there because then it doesn't look like you're advancing in it. But secretly everybody knows you're way more advanced in that shit than what you lead off with. And yeah, what's the average they say shit from the forties, Yep, about <laughs> 30 years, we're about 30 years more advanced, like government technology than what the general public's aware of. So, I mean, (laughs) who knows what they're doing, man. (laughs) So these innovations that Jack made led to him and Foreman leaving Gausset in 1942, and they helped to form the Aerojet Corporation. And uh, they also formed this company with uh, Frank Molina, who we talked about a little bit, um, Theodore Von Karman, who was the director of Gausset, and a few other people, but uh, they're not really notable to the story. But by 1943, Aerojet was operating on a budget of $650,000 in 1943 money. I was going to say, what's what's that equivalent to now? I have no idea. A shitload. (laughs) I'm going to look it up just for shits and giggles. What year was that? 1943. 1943. All right, you can keep going. I'm going to look this up just so that we can throw it in here. Oh, wait, here. It's equivalent to... 1,146,000, wait, no, no, extra number on that, sorry. I was going to say, it's got to be I put an extra zero. 1,146,363,029, yeah. (laughs) That's insane. Yeah, so that means these hooligans were working on a billion-dollar budget Mm -hmm. in 1943, basically. Oh, wait, I misplaced another zero. My my mistake. It's 1,146,000. One hundred and forty six thousand three hundred sixty three hundred twenty nine. 
Okay. Well, that's not quite as impressive. One million? A million dollars is still pretty damn impressive, I think, especially for a uh, not black project. See, I would have thought it would have been more than that, though, like the exchange rate. But, but I mean, these are just Anywho. a bunch of uh, random dudes blowing stuff up. It's not like I mean, th- th- they're at this point starting to get a bit more established. But for the most part, I'm sure the U.S. government's probably like these guys are really onto something. But realistically, they're just a bunch of dudes blowing sh- blowing shit up in the desert. So we'll keep tabs, not give them too much, <laughs> because the last thing we need is to give them enough money that they create an explosion that takes out half of California. <laughs> Which they kind of did. But I don't know. It, it still sounds crazy to me that these dudes had six hundred fifty thousand dollars in nineteen forty three to throw around. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, Parsons also developed a technology for smokeless vapor trails on these rockets, and it was called Aeroplex. And because of that, Aerojet received a large contract from the Navy again. So there's the initial contract to do the JADOs. They had all these technological innovations, and they got a huge contract from the Navy that basically lasted the rest of World War II. But, however, as Parsons became more involved in his occult activities and that side of his life, his professional life began to suffer. No shit. And this was because, in addition to his normal intake of alcohol and marijuana, Jack also started using cocaine, amphetamines, peyote, and mescaline. And so he would often show up to work blowing up shit, hungover, or fucked up. So what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) I'm actually about to redo this number because I didn't add that right. It was only giving me 65,000, so the number is way fucking bigger than uh, what I was guessing it was. Oh, let me hit the calculation button here. It's equivalent to a billion. eleven million three hundred and thirty-two thousand six hundred and twenty. All right, that makes more sense. Yeah, yep. eleven so million. Per, pretty 11 crazy. Million. Eleven and a half million. We'll just round up because it's eleven three three two. So we'll just round up eleven and a half million. So for all the listeners that aren't familiar. Mescaline is the psychoactive ingredient that's extracted from peyote. So realistically, peyote and mescaline are basically the same thing. It's just an extracted version of it versus eating the cactus itself, which would be the peyote. Well, he probably did that when he was out in the desert masturbating and blowing shit up. Just eating fucking random ass cactuses. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. So Jack and Helen around this time were becoming increasingly influential within the Agape Lodge. And in June of 1942, Jack leased a mansion on Orange Grove Boulevard, which was only a few blocks away from where his childhood home was that they lost because of his grandfather dying and them losing all their wealth in the Depression. And so a lot of the money that Jack was getting through these government contracts, he was funneling to the OTO and to Crowley over in England. So Jack was basically like living very modestly because he was giving all of his money and some of this government funding to support his occult activities. (laughs) Just for shits and giggles also, does anybody know offhand when Crowley died? Um, I did not put that in my notes. I'm going to look it up real quick. Uh, Crowley death date. Because I'm assuming that this was like the tail end of Crowley's life that he was uh, funding this kind of stuff. Yeah, I believe he died. 1947. Okay. December 1st, 1947. 
So he died like kind of in the midst of all this. So uh, this mansion that Jack leased on Orange Grove Boulevard, uh, it quickly became the headquarters for the Agape Lodge, and Jack referred to it as the Parsonage, which is hilarious on multiple multiple levels because Parson Parsonage and Shane, do you know what a parsonage normally refers to? It's where a preacher lives. Isn't yeah. It? Yes. Isn't it the home yeah. That's it's supplied by it's the, the church. The home them? that the church owns that they basically give the preacher to live in. That's pretty ironic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and hilarious. So again, this was a very affluent neighborhood known as Millionaire's Mile, and. This crazy man who's blowing shit up and doing devil magic uh, moves in <laughs> next door. And so he's having these wild parties and, you know, it's just a constant stream of guests and God knows what else going on. So, of course, this attracted a lot of attention from the locals. And Parsons and the Lodge were investigated by the Pasadena Police Department and the FBI. But no evidence of illegal activity was ever found. And this is going to be a running theme with Jack Parsons. He gets investigated for shit, and then somehow, most of the time, wiggles his way out of it. So, after Parsons became, you know, much more influential in the Lodge and leased this mansion for them to use as their headquarters, Crowley removed Wilfred Talbot Smith as the head of the Agape Lodge. But he did this through like the most hilarious harebrained scheme possible. And this is what I was sharing <laughs> with you the other day. This is a good one. So basically, the guy who was like the treasurer for the OTO in America hated this Wilfred Talbot Smith fellow, just had a personal vendetta against him. So he would, like, write these letters to Crowley in England, like, just talking pure shit about this dude. And so when Jack came on the scene with all this money he was funneling into the organization, Crowley decided that it was time to get rid of uh, Mr. Smith. So the scheme he devised to do this was he wrote up a horoscope slash birth chart And some things I've read said that this is supposedly accurate, but Crowley told this guy that based off of his birth chart, he was a god because of how, like, the planets were arranged when he was born or whatever. So knowing that this guy had a bit of an ego and would kind of jump onto this hook, line, and sinker, he encouraged this guy to go out to the desert or the wilderness or wherever the fuck he went and, like, uh, become one with himself and, like, discover his own godhood go on a spiritual journey for lack of better terms so basically this was just an elaborate ruse to get rid of this guy but rather than just firing him he convinced him that he was a god did he give him peyote too in the process give him some peyote and push him out in the desert have fun buddy i mean (laughs) these dudes are nothing if not dramatic so anyway rather than just saying you're fired nope you're a god go out in the desert and discover yourself That's how. <laughs> that's fucked. That's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty fucked. <laughs> but this is how Jack became the head of the Agape Lodge because this guy was supposedly a god, but Jack wasn't, so he could just run the lodge and funnel all of his money <laughs> yeah, to Crowley he, he in was England, funding yeah a large percentage of this of like the entire organization. Because again, 
Jack had his fingers and all these things that was getting millions of dollars. Oh, um, that's what she said. Oh, he had his fingers and everything. <laughs> that's but, what she said. <laughs> but he was getting like millions of dollars in that amount of money or that time's money from the government. So around this time, and this is one of my favorite parts of the story. It might be my second favorite. You know what my favorite part is. It's a magical fiasco. No, no, you know what my favorite part is. We're going to get into it in the next episode. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, I do. <laughs> teaser. Uh, oh, the yachts. <laughs> oh, teaser. A yacht scheme. <laughs> it's a yacht scheme, bitches. <laughs> so around this time, Jack's wife, Helen, went on like an extended European vacation. And while she was gone, Jack began a sexual relationship <laughs> With Helen's 17-year-old sister, Sarah. All right, I take everything I said back. This guy's a pedophile. <laughs> he can go rot in a hole. <laughs> I mean, this was the 40s. They were they were like way more understanding about that sort of thing. And she was probably 17, about to be 18. So it, hey, it yeah. could have been like Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, was he married to his either guitar player or bass player's daughter when she was like 14. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so Jack wasn't quite that bad, but that's because he anyway. wasn't a rock star. If he was a rock star, it'd be a little bit different. But he was a he was, he was a rocket star. Rocket rock star. The age is a little bit higher. They were Jack Parsons. <laughs> but when Helen returned from her uh, European tour, Sarah, her sister, informed her that she was now Jack's new wife. <laughs> And Parsons also admitted that he found Sarah more sexually exciting than Helen. Can you imagine that conversation? (laughs) It was probably a magical fiasco. (laughs) She's like, that's fine. I did a literal European tour. So (laughs) you're here with my sister and I've had somebody from every country. So (laughs) fuck your life. Bing bong. So Jack has now kicked his wife Helen to the curb for her 17-year-old sister. Bruh. So he- <laughs> Helen <laughs> then began a long-term relationship with Wilfred Talbot Smith, the godman who got kicked out as head of the Agape Lodge. Well, yeah, why would you pick Parsons when you could date a god? <laughs> yeah. And the four of them like remained friends for many years. So this is just all so crazy and entangled and incestuous, but hilarious as well. <laughs> uh, and uh, Helen and Talbot even had a child together at one point. So this was like an actual relationship. This was not a, a, a cult sex magic relationship. They were like legitimately together. And I'm going to open another beer. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I got beer on my microphone. (laughs) The allotments got on the microphone. Allotments. God damn it. Allotments. Magical fiasco, guys. (laughs) Magical fiasco. That's going to be going on for every episode going on in the future. Allotments. No, that and magical magical fiasco. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hashtag magical fiasco. Yes. All right. Y'all got anything before I jump back in? Nah. Okay. So, after World War II, a controlling stake in the Aerojet Corporation was sold to General Tire and Rubber Company. And many of its founding members, including Parsons and Foreman, were kind of forced out of the company and uh, 
let's just say encouraged to sell their stocks in the company. Um, actually, all of the original founding members, except Frank Molina, ended up selling out at some point. But he stayed on and he became a millionaire as a result of this. But Parsons and Foreman were not upset by being forced to leave the company that they had founded because they predicted that after the war, rocket technology would kind of become obsolete. And this is another good Parsonsism. They planned to start a chain of laundromats <laughs> because they thought that would be more financially successful than rockets. Yeah, because so they could clean Jack that Parsons dirty money. <laughs> over there. Fuck rockets! I'm going to start a laundromat! So, I love the voice. That's my Jack Parsons voice. When I get real excited, it's going to come out. That's what she said. That's what she said. <laughs> but I haven't found any proof that they actually followed through with this uh, laundromat scheme, but it's still hilarious. But if with, they did uh, it successful, you wouldn't know. That's right. <laughs> but with the money he got from selling his stocks, uh, he did buy out the lease for the parsonage. And after that, uh, him and Foreman did... Uh, kind of start a short-lived explosive company, and they called it Ad Astra Research, which, again, that was part of their motto when they were kids, which means to the stars. But here again, the company was investigated by the FBI, this time because Parsons and Foreman were caught with a large quantity of chemicals used in a top-secret project for a material known as X-Metal which is the most made-up-sounding thing I've ever fucking heard. Well, let's see. What time was this around? This was around uh, World War II, this right? This is uh, post-World War II, yes. Oh, so they didn't have a reason to start working on the A-bomb yet. I was going to say, I wonder if he had pieces that they are using for that whole project. I think uh, I have heard that, like, Project... Um, is it Project Manhattan? or The, the, the Manhattan, Manhattan Project. project. Yeah, like, this was shit that they were working on. Like, I should have added that to my notes, but this whole X-Metal thing, like, I think they did steal it from, like, the Manhattan Project or people working on the Manhattan Project. So that was really good, Shane. But uh, here again, charges were later dropped. They found no evidence that they had done anything wrong. So after this most recent magical fiasco, Parsons went to work for the Vulcan Powder Company another explosive company in Southern California. So we're on our third one at that point. And in 1944, Gausset, which was, you know, the original group that they were in at Caltech that they left to form Aerojet. But that group was expanded and kind of broke away from Caltech and was officially renamed Jet Propulsion Laboratory or JPL. And Frank Molina became the director at that point. So this guy's just rolling in it. He had all his stock from Aerojet, and he was also the director of JPL. So, are you guys ready? I am ready. I am ready, so Shane? ready. At this point in time, this is Lafayette Ronald Hubbard's entrance music. Mm. I need some kind of ominous Not background music to play. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, In 1945, dun. Parsons was introduced to the science fiction author and the founder of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard. 
Shocker. This guy is just entangled all the occult. That almost makes me wonder, like, the dude's an intelligent guy, but, like, is he in on what the true workings are of all of these occult things, or is he just somebody that's being manipulated by occult leaders? Two things. Exposed. Yeah, number one, we're going to get into that a little bit later, and Parsons just strikes me as kind of like a romantic and an optimist, like... He wants to be part of something bigger, so he like strives yeah, to do and, it and does everything he can to I be think, part of it. <laughs> yeah, like going to the moon was all he cared about. Like he didn't care what happened in the interim. Like uh, Frank Molina, who we've talked about a lot, like he was really against you know this rocket technology that they were developing being used for military purposes. Whereas like Jack didn't care. He just wanted to go to space, and if you know, making these rockets for the military, help them do that. Uh, so be it. Like he was all about the end goal. And I think that it seems to me like he was very trusting of people and probably trusted some people that he should not, which we're <laughs> no going to get into shit. later. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, chief among them, who seems like kind of not the best guy in the world. No. Yeah. In a story about devil wizards, L. Ron Hubbard is like the worst dude in this story. <laughs> so prior to meeting Jack Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard had received a medical discharge from the Navy, and he voluntarily spent some time in the hospital to strengthen his claim for disability. So let's add a, you know, scam story, whatever kind of fraud that is on top of my it. neck, my back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he claimed to have like every kind of made up ailment possible. But uh, Hubbard and Parsons became fast friends, and Hubbard moved into the Parsonage and kind of unofficially, officially joined the OTO. So, as part of his magical training and whatnot, Parsons believed that he had evolved beyond the jealousies of a common man. So he kind of encouraged for him and Sarah to have open relationships and take on other lovers, and basically just do whatever they wanted to at that point. But this was kind of put to the test when old Elron showed up, and Sarah became just enamored with him. And Hubbard was described by some of the other Agape Lodge members as a persuasive and unscrupulous charmer. And within a matter of weeks, he brought the entire House of Parsons down around poor Jack's ears. And he did this by the simple expedient of taking over Jack's girl. So he flipped my wife like seven times and it really bothered me for anybody that knows where that line's from. You're, you're uh, in the circle. <laughs> well, I'm not in the circle, but there's a show called, uh, I saw, or I think you should leave, uh, Tim Robinson. It's this like skit show on uh, Netflix and okay. <laughs> there's this ad part in it that there's just, he's like, I went to a wedding once and this guy flipped my wife like seven times and it really bothered me. <laughs> Was he Jack Parsons? Could have been. <laughs> so this relationship between uh, Parsons or excuse me, this relationship between L. Ron Hubbard and Jack's girl, Sarah really started to get to him. So Jack, as one would do, decided to perform a ritual to help him out with this situation. And lo and behold, the uh, ritual was a success. Uh oh. And in his diary, Jack wrote, 
I have been suffered to pass through an ordeal of human love and jealousy, but I have found a staunch companion in Ron. So, as we'll see, Jack would just, like, change gears at the drop of a hat. Like, he would just move on to something. Like, he hated L. Ron Hubbard for fucking his girl and then just did a ritual. Oh, nope, it's all good. Me and Ron are, are staunch companions. And Parsons also wrote that L. Ron Hubbard was, quote, the most thelemic person I have ever met. He is also interested in establishing the new Aeon, and we are pooling our resources in a partnership that will act as a limited company to control our business ventures. And there's much more on those to come later. I saw what's what's this ritual? Did, did, did you figure out what type of ritual he pulled? So basically... And I don't know really anything about magic or rituals or whatever, but um, it was a lot of like consecrating daggers and waving them around and pentagrams in the air and masturbating was always involved in all these. <laughs> rituals, but I don't know all the actual steps, but uh, he was not phoning it in on any of these. It sounds like I want to know yeah, what the purpose gonna... was. Did it just make him feel better? Like we're all fr- we're all good now. Like I would have assumed you would have tried to do like a ritual to like kill him or like sacrifice him but clearly he didn't like I, what was uh, the intention well, of this are they called like banishing spell like well, isn't there I was something just, I'm gonna have to go back and read what what he did but you know basically when I do a ritual I will I I use incense to write my intent do you masturbate <laughs> but it seems to help the process you know it helps a lot of processes uh, that's what she uh, said plug plug greenfield's book (laughs) the girl within um yeah solo sex will um make a ritual better so i mean maybe they were just like writing incense and uh, not with incense, with their daggers and shit, and then jerking off, and uh, I don't know, I don't know that I'm gonna have to go back and read this because that's yeah, I've left out a lot of like the steps of these rituals because like this book is pretty detailed and it's very dry, and like I just figured the listeners wouldn't want to hear. I mean, they got to hear me ramble on enough; they wouldn't want to hear like all the you know little steps of this ritual he did and. Once we get a little further into this, there's going to be a lot more rituals to come. So. Yeah, just for now, well, just imagine a guy, you know, crouched in a corner with a dagger, just crudely just just yanking it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not too far off. <coughs> well, uh, <coughs> his uh, October 2nd, I think that's what you said, he's a Libra, and Libras are charming, and they're, they're uh, sweet, and they're inviting and friendly. I haven't come across gullible, but... I mean, all these things seem to track with him, so... Yeah, yeah. He's just a crazy dude. Like (laughs) like I said at the beginning of the show, how is this dude not talked about more than he is? Because I'm just fucking obsessed. It's like my new favorite thing. Like I don't know how she's put up with me the past few months. It's like literally... It's literally all I've talked about for months now. it's just kind of like I said last week on the episode. Some of the things I've been reading and stuff have kind of ended ended up being parallel studies because you know the sex magic the girl within all that stuff it's it's all the same shit yeah and like stuff we didn't even know was going to cross over into this has ended up crossing over into it like yeah you bought that greenfield book and i didn't even tell you i yeah and then like there's a whole chapter in it on mm-hmm. parsons so and then i've been doing all the weird portal research which also seems to also link in with this stuff because obviously it's trying to open up portals get, <laughs> yeah so yep. 
Yep, yep. So, uh, like I said off air, for our listeners, um, believe it or not, this episode has kind of been just kind of setting the scene on a lot of stuff, and it's been more dry and technical than it's going to be from here on out. Like, part two is going to be yeah, part two bizarre encounters after dark. Going to be a banger. Yeah. Uh, Literally. I'm going to have to make a jingle for Bizarre Encounters After Dark. <laughs> bizarre Encounters After Dark. <laughs> so, after Jack met our buddy L. Ron Hubbard, and after he did this banishing ritual, whatever you call it, to uh, get over his jealousies that he thought he was above, he began planning an elaborate magical working and this fell like way outside of the normal purview of the OTO. This was basically something he made up himself for his own purposes. Yeah, magically working himself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this was called the Babylon working. And we're going to get penis deep into the Babylon working. That's what she part said. Two. <laughs> but you guys got to stay tuned for part two, of course. It's going to be good. No, I think it's going to be real good. Two things I take away from, well, it's really one thing, is isn't Parsons and Faye, I don't know about Lafayette, aren't those both power names? So that's actually in like my miscellaneous oh, okay. section that I was going to go over at the end. But yeah, so. Well, um, you know I remembered that from hell. You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that Jim Brandon book, The Rebirth of Pan, he talks about this idea of power names, which. According to Jim Brandon's book, The Rebirth of Pan, which is talked about on Hellier, Parsons is a power name, which is, quote, frequently associated with anomalous phenomenon. And in Plug, Alan Greenfield's The Grail Within, Plug, he states, quote, a talisman is a charm of symbolic representation of various magical elements, such as names of power, Etc. That's good. Yeah. So mm -hmm. again, all this shit just ties together. And one other interesting thing I'll mention here, since you were just talking about Parsons' birthday and his uh, kind of zodiac. So, like you said, uh, his date of birth was October second of nineteen twenty-four. And this is interesting because uh, a gentleman who was a pastor, his name was Charles, I believe, Taze Russell is how it's pronounced, and this guy founded the movement that would later grow into the Jehovah's Witnesses. Hmm. And he made this prediction, proclamation, whatever you want to call it, that kind of the end times, Armageddon, end of the world events spoken about in the book of Revelations would begin on that exact day, October 2nd, 1924. Oh, wow. Jack Parsons' exact birthday. No shit. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yep. So, just a, a few little tidbits to leave you guys with before we jump into the Babylon working. And just to throw in some other fun information, because I'm sure that a lot of people who are um, into this weird type of phenomenon and stuff are also into a lot of the like Marvel DC type movies. Um, Howard Stark, Tony Stark's dad, the like way they model his character is supposed to be modeled after Jack Parsons. Just want to throw that one in there. Really? Yep. That's why he has a little mustache. He's wearing like the pantsuit and everything. Um, the actual, uh, Tony Stark, uh, was supposed to be modeled after, um, 
Howard Hughes, but the dad, Howard Stark, at least in the movies, the way that they depicted him, his depiction was done off of Jack Parsons. That is super interesting. I'm going to have to go watch something again and keep that in mind because I'm a huge Marvel person. Well, and isn't the guy who plays Tony Stark's dad in the movies the guy from Mad Men? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. And uh, apparently also Tony, or uh, according to Stanley, he said that uh, Tony Stark was modeled after uh, Howard Hughes before he went crazy. So I just had to throw that one in there because well, I, I think he started yeah. like pretending like he wasn't modeled after him after he went crazy. <laughs> Howard Hughes is going to come up in a later episode. No shit. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So isn't it crazy how all this stuff is like related once you start? Yeah. Dude, once so much you- comic book shit is inspired by real world stuff that it's insane. They just take what they're trying to do and like turn it into entertainment, you know? Like, well, and even a step further beyond just comics, like the, like we always say, you don't have to dig below the surface very much before you start seeing the connections between yeah. things. Yeah, you want to talk about weird, man. Marvel's been on the whole like multiverse concept for how long? And what's been going on in the world while they've been building that up is all the weird CERN stuff. And it seems like they're trying to normalize the whole idea of multiple dimensions and multiple realities as like a soft disclosure type of thing. It's kind of like the alien oh, thing, sure. man. They've had they've been yeah. depicting their image in movies for the past like 60, well, probably longer than that now, for the last... Uh, it's 80 years and there's a reason yeah. for that is so that when you see them like you know what you're dealing with and it's like the same thing for all these marvel movies you get kids to be okay with the concept of going into multiple dimensions this that then maybe in like 30 years you know when you form a new army that's going to go into other dimensions you're going to have a whole generation of kids who have been oh my god the whole idea of going into multiple dimensions their whole life they're not going to think about like oh if i go through this portal i might not come back the same they're just going to be like fuck yeah send me through the portal i've been watching this in movies forever (laughs) yeah it's going to be like you said what's going on now people are just so used to the idea of aliens and so many people have accepted extraterrestrial intelligences that with all this horse and pony show going on now nobody really cares like you said maybe 30 years when they quote unquote discover the multiverse it's going to be the same thing like nobody cares because mm-hmm. they got to trickle it in that's 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 the trick because if it was just information out of nowhere people would know how to handle it and people would dig into it but if they just trickle it it just sounds like another part of a sci-fi movie like people just pass over it it's yeah well and like we talked about at the beginning of the show like rockets and rocketry was considered sci-fi bullshit when these dudes were doing it so they had to purposefully not call them rockets you know, so same thing. What the saying? Something like science fiction inspires real science. Something along uh, yeah. those lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah like uh, yesterday's science fiction is tomorrow's science, or uh, some shit. I butchered that, but there's some saying. But long way around it. You guys get the point. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So. But uh, I guess starting to uh, wrap up here. If you guys enjoyed this episode, and of course, there will be more parts coming to it, so that's why, uh, if anybody's wondering why this is part one, the way it's labeled, there will be more parts, so definitely stay tuned for that. But if you guys enjoyed this episode, uh, don't forget to share it with a friend through word of mouth if you know there's anybody else that's really going to enjoy it. And if you guys haven't already, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave an awesome five-star review on iTunes, of course, we will read on the show and give you guys a shout-out. And... As always, don't have a magical fiasco. (laughs) Reach out to us. Instagram, the website. Shit, we don't have a website. (laughs) We got a link tree. 
I can't steal Wait, it. That's my turn. Yeah. All right. Let me restart that. No, don't restart it. Just keep going. Uh, you guys know the internet things. Just do them. <laughs> and all, um, as always, um, all the shit's listed in the link tree and the magical fiasco of the show notes. I've been Shane. I've been Magical Fiasco Oren. And I've been Jenny. And always, always, guys, remember that if you want to stay in our crew, you gotta, gotta stay bizarre. 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 Magical Fiasco! (laughs) 